Tuesday, May the 4th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Bill and Melinda Gates split and India's army to the rescue. First, the world in brief. Melinda Gates and Bill Gates announced plans to end their 27-year marriage. Global Philanthropy's billionaire power couple met in 1987 when she joined Microsoft Corporation, the computer company co-founded by Mr. Gates. He stepped down as CEO in 2000 and left Microsoft's board last year. Much of their estimated $124 billion fortune is committed to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, a health NGO and the world's wealthiest private charity, where they both intend to carry on working. Warren Buffett, the chief executive of Berkshire Hathaway, confirmed that Greg Abel, who runs the conglomerate's non-insurance business, would be his successor. The announcement followed an apparent slip of the tongue on Saturday by Charlie Munger, the company's vice chairman, who assured shareholders that, quote, Greg will keep the culture whenever Mr. Buffett, who is 90, steps down. India counted its 20 millionth case of COVID-19, adding 356,000 new infections to its catastrophic caseload yesterday. A peak of more than 400,000 a day was reached at the weekend. In Mumbai, the country's commercial capital, the rate of COVID-positive test results seems to have started falling. In the actual capital, Delhi, the army was called up to operate 11,000 beds for patients in need of oxygen, which hospitals are struggling to obtain. Medical supplies donated by foreign governments began piling up at the airport. The Democratic Republic of Congo said it had succeeded in containing an Ebola outbreak. Eleven cases were confirmed and one probable case detected over the course of three months, with six deaths recorded. The World Health Organization praised local health workers for their swift response. An unrelated outbreak of the virus continues to trouble Guinea. The White House said America will let in as many as 62,500 refugees this year, more than quadrupling the low ceiling set by Donald Trump. The welcome mat is rolled out with reluctance. President Joe Biden had signaled it would keep the Trump administration's inhospitable limit of 15,000. He buckled under pressure from within his Democratic Party. Apollo Global Management, an American private equity firm, will buy 90% of media assets owned by Verizon, an American telecoms group, for $5 billion. Verizon spent millions of dollars to purchase Yahoo and AOL, but suffered heavy losses in 2018 because of poor performances. The remaining 10% of assets Verizon retains will be known as Yahoo and receive $4.25 billion in cash. Trustly indefinitely postponed plans for an IPO that would value it at $9 billion. Swedish regulators expressed concern that the fintech company, which facilitates payments directly from customers' bank accounts to merchants without using card networks as intermediaries, did not adequately investigate these customers. Trustly also said that its first quarter pre-tax profits had increased by 31% year-on-year. And fact of the day... Israel has held more elections in the past two years than Palestine has in the past three decades. And now, here's today's agenda. No rabbit in the hat, Israel's government. 
Often dubbed the magician for his political skill, Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel's prime minister, is rapidly running out of tricks. His mandate to form a government expires at midnight tonight. His party, Likud, won a plurality in the election on March 23rd, Israel's fourth in two years. But he has struggled to assemble a coalition which would require him to poach defectors from parties opposed to him or convince Islamists and Jewish supremacists to work together. Mr Netanyahu may ask Reuven Rivlin, the president, for a two-week extension, but that seems unlikely. If he doesn't, Mr Rivlin must make a choice. He can tap a second candidate to form a coalition or throw the decision to Parliament. Mr Netanyahu's opponents have been talking for weeks about an alternative government, but they too have been unable to reach an agreement. If they cannot, voters will trudge back to the polls for a fifth time. The New Normal – America's Climate For the past decade, normal weather in America was determined by average measurements collected between 1981 and 2010. Today, that changes. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, a federal agency, will release its new, quote, climate normals, using temperature and precipitation data from thousands of locations over the past 30 years. Climate normals, which are updated every 10 years, are used to inform policy and commercial decisions such as what to farm, where to build, and how much energy to produce, among others. Taken together, they also show how America's climate has shifted over time. NOAA found that the new normals seem to confirm existing trends. The eastern two-thirds of the country has seen more precipitation. Pretty much everywhere is now noticeably hotter than the 20th century average. We're really seeing the fingerprints of climate change, Mike Palecki, who manages the project for NOAA, told CNN. Americans must get used to a warmer, wetter country. Awaiting the verdict, Marine Le Pen. A verdict is due in Marine Le Pen's hate speech trial today. The leader of the far-right national rally, previously the National Front, was tried by a court for tweeting three violent images of Islamic State in 2015. Prosecutors have asked for a €5,000, about $6,000 fine. In less than a year, Ms Le Pen will run for the French presidency for a third time. Neither a guilty nor an innocent verdict is likely to hamper her campaign. Her base is solid and growing. Polls suggest that in another second-round runoff against Emmanuel Macron, the same choice offered in 2017, she would score up to 48%. This would far exceed the 34% she achieved four years ago. Were Ms Le Pen instead to face a candidate from the left or the Greens, she would win. It is a prospect that many in France are having to take seriously, however unsettling that may be. A capital vote, Madrid's election. The regional election in Madrid today matters for the whole of Spain. Isabel Diaz Ayuso, the region's president, is fond of saying that her opponent is Pedro Sanchez, Spain's socialist prime minister, rather than those she is running against. Representing the Conservative People's Party, she has campaigned for, quote, freedom, understood as light taxes and bars remaining open during the pandemic. Her opponents, by contrast, worry over Madrid's relatively high COVID-19 case numbers and problems with health care. The campaign has turned nasty. 
Death threats mailed with ammunition were sent to six politicians. Podemos, a hard left party, and Vox, a hard right party, battled each other from opposite extremes. Neither is likely to do well. Polls predict a big PP victory. Ms. Diaz Ayuso, a rising star in Spanish politics, might need Vox's support to continue to govern. But the PP would regard her victory as a milestone on its long road back to national electability. It's a trap. Star Wars dummy script goes on sale. The revelation of Luke Skywalker's parentage shocked fans when The Empire Strikes Back premiered in 1980. The cast and crew were surprised too. Creator George Lucas was so secretive that he didn't tell most of them. David Prowse, who played the villainous Darth Vader but did not lend the character his voice, read a script with dummy lines. It was not until James Earl Jones's stentorian overdub that the world first heard the words, No, I am your father. Prowse died last year, aged 85. Today, his original copy of that script is part of a live auction in his hometown of Bristol, with a percentage of proceeds going to Alzheimer's Research UK. Also for sale is a trove of his valuable Star Wars memorabilia, including a chunk of the Millennium Falcon. Fans will have already noted the date, Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you indeed. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Jane Bowles, who died on this day in 1973. Victory fades so quickly that it is scarcely apparent, and it is always the face of defeat that we are able to see. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.